Welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I'm Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schendel. Today we are shitting upon the 2019 Netflix original film called Six Underground. No pun this week because Michael Bay doesn't deserve puns. He deserves <laughs> as strong a fucking rebuke as I can give. I've been waiting for a while on Michael Bay now, man, and I am going to savor every bit of this rant. But to cut to the chase, fuck you, Michael Bay. You're a goddamn chauvinistic jingo military porn peddling sexual predator fuck you you cunt but first this is a comedy <laughs> podcast if you have not seen the movie we are about to shit on and you want to avoid spoilers stop now but if you don't care about spoilers or you want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad jump in the water's warm i just hated <laughs> it i don't personally recommend you see this movie it's awful paul and i are martyrs here sacrificing our time sanity and everlasting Damn. memories to the movie gods so that you might be entertained but if you absolutely have to two hours of my life <laughs> my valuable time gone but if you absolutely have to proceed with caution and at your own risk if you watch this movie so without further ado let's hand it over to pablo francisco <clears throat> meet a new kind of action hero six untraceable agents totally off the grid they've buried their past so that they can change their future oh <laughs> This is, our, good. <laughs> this is our first Netflix original film we've reviewed, so as such, this movie has different stats to consider. While this movie is distributed by Netflix, it was bought by them. This is an important distinction as it, was, it wasn't directly produced by them. It was produced by Bay Films, obviously Michael Bay's company and Skydance Media. Bay Films was formed to make another abysmal movie called I Am Number Four, which was a failure in the US, and I don't know anyone other than myself who has seen it. They also were. I do not recall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were also responsible for 13 Hours, Bay's propaganda movie about Benghazi, as well as the Transformers spin off Bumblebee, written by the woman who wrote Birds of Prey, another horrifyingly terrible movie. And of course, they produced this movie. Skydance has partnered a lot with Netflix recently. I honestly believe this is some sort of tax break loophole exploiting slash money <laughs> laundering operation when they do Netflix movies. I say this because Netflix has a quote unquote hands off approach to their originals. And this is really interesting because this is really this is really interesting though because I've worked on several other movies and TV shows over the years and they do some weird shit when it comes to production. While the UPM, the unit production manager and everyone else involved with money and production will tell you unequivocally that the project is for Netflix, quote unquote, Netflix's name will not appear on any non-disclosure agreements, production hiring, paperwork, emails or permitting material. But the first week of prep for any quote unquote Netflix original will always involve a two-hour lecture by an official human resources liaison from Netflix explaining their policies and recourse methods for sexual harassment on set. They have like the logo up at the whole time. You know, they say that they're from Netflix, that they work in California, they go to the you know, blah, 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 blah. But reps from Netflix will also go on the tech scouts with department heads and be on any and all production meetings prior to shooting and then simply quote unquote drop in during the filmmaking process. It's a really odd system to avoid publicity during shooting only to later then pump a shitload of money into the advertising with their logo on the film. I believe it's a way to underpay the crew personally, but that's my <laughs> own opinion and I digress. 
uh, Skydance Productions did The Old Guard recently, another Netflix original, which I haven't seen. I'm going to watch that tomorrow. Mission Impossible Fallout, the absolute goddamn travesty that is Ang Lee's Gemini Man. Terminator Dark Fate, a.k.a. Terminator Geriatrics. <laughs> Star Trek Beyond, and a fuckload of other movies, including the $400 million clusterfuck of a movie known as World War Z. It's <laughs> it's produced by Bay, of course, as well as a litany of other producers I won't go into here, but a few standouts exist here. Ian Bryce is a longtime producer who did such classics as Saving Private Ryan, Speed, and Almost Famous, as well as terrible movies such as Howard the Duck, Rising Sun, Twister, and, <laughs> and Hard Rain, Paul. Oh, that, that is a pillar among the worst movies of the 90s. I'm oh, say. God. So good. Uh, he's also done five Transformers movies in Michael Bay's box office disaster known as The Island. The only other producer of note here is David Ellison. I can't stress his connection to this movie more than what I'm about to say. David Ellison is everything that's wrong with Hollywood these days. While he did do one of my favorite movies in the last five years, Alex Garland's fantastic cosmic horror thriller named Annihilation in 2018, he also did mm. Baywatch, the movie, two Terminator <laughs> movies, two Terminator movies, uh, that's geriatrics and the misspelled Genesis. He's also done G.I. Joe movies, Jack Ryan movies, Star Trek movies, etc. All sequels, spinoffs, or ill-informed, quote-unquote, new tent poles like Gemini Man. He was born in 1983 and is the son of of Larry Ellison. The reason that I bring this up is that Larry Ellison is the billionaire software mogul and founder of Oracle Corp. But the real reason that I bring up his age and his lineage is because he is the brother of Megan Ellison. What is the significance here? Megan Ellison formed the production company known as Annapurna Pictures. She represents the intelligent, prestige, Oscar-winning side of Hollywood. Both her and her brother were given a billion dollars by their father to make a name for themselves. <laughs> David founded Skydance and Megan founded Annapurna. Megan wanted to fi wanted film to be better, to push forward the art of it. So she came up with this idea to literally give money to filmmakers who had a vision and a project that studios weren't able to cash in on and simply just to put something meaningful into the world. While David planned to do sequels, spinoffs, and money-grubbing projects that give nothing to the world, nor do they offer anything new or significant to the medium. Megan did True Grit, Lawless, Killing Them Softly, The Master, Zero Dark Thirty, Her, American Hustle, Foxcatcher, Everybody Wants Some, 20th Century Women, Detroit, Phantom Thread, Buster Scruggs, If Beale Street Could Talk, Vice, Booksmart, and many, many others. Amongst her movies, they have won six Oscars and been nominated for a stunning 61 total Oscar nominations over a seven-year period, dude. She's in every Oscar ceremony every one of them. Amongst his, he has two, two Oscar nominations, one for Star Trek Beyond for makeup and one for Star Trek Into Darkness for visual effects. While David has made a shitload of money over the years with Skydance, Annapurna declared bankruptcy three years ago. I say wow. this is what's wrong with Hollywood because everyone is being sold to go see sequels, prequels, and spinoffs that no one will remember in 20 years while movies like what Megan produces flounder at the box office. I will always remember the movies Megan produced for the rest of my life as well as film history will store them in their rightful places but david's movies i saw six underground two days ago and i don't fucking remember it dude <laughs> so forgettable but hollywood you're making the film going audience stupider stop the money grubbing anyway back to this movie 
Every other producer is a company man that works for either Babe Films or Skydance. This movie stars Ryan Reynolds, who overall is fun and funny as a leading man in Hollywood. And I can't talk a lot of shit because his movies are meant to be stupid or silly or campy. And I love Deadpool as much as the next guy, even though I don't think it was nearly as funny or violent <laughs> as it could have been. But let's not forget, Ryan was in Green Lantern, one of the <laughs> worst movies ever made. He's never going to live that down, is he? <laughs> As well as R.I.P.D., which I don't know if you ever saw that, Paul, but that I is a not, no. fucking terrible movie, man. <laughs> it's one of the worst I've ever seen, to be sure. But he did have some critical moments where he has shown his promise that no one has taken advantage of yet. These include this one-man show of a movie that he did called Buried from 2010. It's an ultra-claustrophobic movie and well-acted $3 million movie that capitalizes on Ryan's charisma to deliver a tense, disturbing, and brilliantly realized movie. See it. You won't regret it. Have you ever seen that, Paul? <sighs> He's buried in, uh, in a, a grave, coffin. right? Yeah, yeah, in yeah. A coffin. Uh, I think it's just so. him. It's just him. It's great work, man. His other dangerously close to perfection movie is 2015's Mississippi Grind with the absolutely insane Australian actor named Ben Mendelsohn. Seriously, that guy is nuts, dude. I've done two movies with that guy and that guy is out of his fucking mind. Like, <laughs> legitimately. I can't speak highly enough about this movie, though. It's from the directors who gave us It's Kind of a Funny Story, Half Nelson, which was one of my favorites from 2006 with Ryan Gosling, and of course, Captain Marvel, which, while fun, does nothing for their incredible lead actress Brie Larson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Co-starring in numerical order of their wonder is the wonderful French actress Melanie Laurent as two, Manuel Garcia Rolfo as three, Ben Hardy as four, no relation to Tom Hardy. I was wondering that. Huh? <laughs> Adria <laughs> R. Jonah as five, Dave Franco as six, who dies, by the way, and Corey <laughs> Hawkins as seven. While I don't want to downplay Dave Franco in Six Balloons, which is also a Netflix movie, the only people worth noting here are Corey Hawkins, who is great in Straight Outta Compton and Black Klansman, and Melanie Laurent, who is fantastic and in Glorious ba Bastards as Shoshana, as well as 2010's Oscar winner Beginners and De Denny Villanueva's underrated paranoid thriller Enemy from 2013 with Jake Gyllenhaal. Seriously, yeah. everyone else has no weight to them. They all have like really bizarre careers that I just don't want to go into. The guys who wrote Deadpool 1 and 2 and Zombieland 1 and 2 wrote this. They're Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese, and that is really all you need to know about them. That's it. This movie is directed by the one, the only, the oh. garbage man himself, Michael <laughs> Bay, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Bay, Bay cut his teeth on directing a fuckload of music videos in the late 80s and 90s for people like Styx, Greg Allman, Great White, Tina Turner, Meatloaf, and Aerosmith. And to be honest, he hasn't moved past his music video days. He constantly moves the camera completely unmotivated to keep the attention span of his goldfish of a mind at audiences. <laughs> and of course, always 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 prefers spectacle over story product placement aside bay directed the original bad boys as well as bad boys 2 the rock armageddon pearl harbor the island five fucking transformers movies <laughs> pain and gain his weird homoerotic miami con man movie with marky mark and the rock and 13 hours he also is slated to fuck up the excellent daniel wilson novel called robo apocalypse in the near future a real shame because the book is great and steven Steven Spielberg 
Spielberg was originally slated to direct, but now Spielberg stays on to produce through Amblin Entertainment. This man, if you don't know, sexually harassed, berated, and belittled Megan Fox during her time on two Transformers movies, not to mention subjected her to some very unsafe and harassing conditions on the set with no mind to her privacy, safety, or humanity. This isn't the first time Bay has been accused of doing this, and it won't be the last either. Real-life offenses aside, his movies are best summarized by legendary film critic Roger Ebert when he reviewed Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Ebert writes, quote, If you want to save yourself the ticket price, go to the kitchen. Cue up a male choir singing the music of hell and get a kid to start banging pots and pans together. <laughs> then close your eyes and use your imagination. One out of five stars. <laughs> His movies are big, noisy, long, ridiculously busy, full of shaky cam, stupid, and worst of all, always contain some form of homophobia, sexism, racism, and the derogatory black joke. I can't stress my hate enough for him because his racial sexism and gay jokes are not only crude and unfunny they have no place in today's society and should be condemned but somehow he continues to make these movies and his jokes all because hollywood loves to make money regardless of the mental cost or human indignity it perpetuates anyway <laughs> this <laughs> This movie is mercifully shorter than his others at a scant two hours and eight minutes long compared to his commonplace two and a half or three hour run times he's known for. One of his Transformers movies was two hours and 45 minutes. Oh Why the fuck do you need a two hour and 45 minute Transformers movie? <laughs> And was produced, this movie was produced for $150 million, also down from his usual 200 to $250 million average. It premiered on December 13th, 2019 on Netflix. This is where listeners, our usual box office analysis gets tricky. Netflix as a streaming service does not have box office numbers by definition. So the amount of money this movie has made is not accessible. But the numbers that are there are that this movie was watched 83 million times in its first four weeks God of release. Damn. If we were to equate that an average ticket price in the U.S. during 2019, which is $9.37 in the fourth quarter of 2019 when this movie premiered, that equates to a $777 million <laughs> gross in its first four weeks of release. Seriously, dude, if if people aren't realizing, if studios aren't realizing the potential of streaming services, like, I mean, even coronavirus is starting to like wake a few people up like Universal. Like they made $150 million in sales on the fucking Trolls movie, dude. <laughs> but yeah. like, th this is proof positive. Like they, they, gonna do? they made this movie for 150 million and they get basically $700 million worth of people's time. Like that's fucking nuts. But, you know, besides yeah. the fact, this, this of course, pales in comparison for Netflix's original Bird Box starring Sandra Bullock, which was viewed 89 million times in its first four weeks, and even more so for the recent Chris Hemsworth pile of hot trash called Extraction <laughs> that was streamed 99 million times in four wow. weeks. That's, uh, that's pretty good numbers there. Yeah. If you were to equate this box office by the cost of the average Netflix membership plan between three plans offered or or $12.66 per month if you average them all together, Netflix can account for a possible revenue stream amongst its 182.8 million subscribers. They have a pool of literally $2.314 billion per month of revenue. <laughs> It's fucking nuts, man. But yeah. their watch stats, 
incidentally, their watch stats only include first viewings of the content and not repeat viewings. So this is 83 million individual first wow. time showings. God it's damn. fucking nuts. But if you look at it even deeper, as such, we can assume that 45.404 of their total subscriber base had seen this movie in the first four weeks that it was released. Like name me one other service that can claim anything like that. No. Even HBO doesn't have that kind of viewership, dude. No. Like, it's fucking crazy. It's almost like a cult. But overall, this makes six underground the fourth largest opening for netflix on its streaming platform behind 2020's god awful peter berg marky mark five quill spencer confidential as well as 2018's bird box in the number three spot and finally 2020's raging dumpster fire extraction holding the number one spot for premiere rounding out the top 10 are adam sandler's shit pile known as murder mystery with 73 million <laughs> views martin scorsese's brilliant and understated the irishman with 64.2 million views jc chander's underwhelming and poorly realized triple frontier with 63 million the david spade abortion known as the wrong missy with 59 million views the bizarre spanish horror flick called the platform with 56.2 million and finally the 2019 romance schlock fest known as the perfect date with 48 million views the wrong missy and the perfect date i knew nothing about i didn't even know that those were a thing because netflix netflix's algorithm is a fucking disaster yeah. but i didn't even know that those were real let alone that they were in the top 10 of like most viewed material on Netflix. It kind of blew my mind. By Netflix's own data, their smallest market is in the Asia Pacific region with 16.23 million subscribers, which with the 45.404 viewership extrapolated gives us 7.3 million people in that area containing 4.3 billion people. This is the breakdown here. In other words, 1.714 one thousandths of 1% of the population of the Asian Pacific region saw this movie. So that's the smallest territory that it played in, so to speak. To give you an idea, the Asia Pacific region is the number one box office region with a $16.7 billion market, or roughly 40.6% of the global market share in terms of movie revenue that's how big it is it's got 4.3 mm. billion people dude that's almost yeah. half the fucking planet <laughs> live in that area right right but like they they definitely haven't tapped that market so it seems like <laughs> that's a region that Netflix needs to work a little harder to expand and if they want to continue to like yeah. grow their revenue at an exponential rate. But yeah. I'll It's zoom- interesting because it feels like uh, Michael Bay movies, especially the Transformers, have really pushed the Asian market right. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they even do it in this movie and I made a note of it that they go to Hong Kong and I'm like, he didn't need to be in Hong Kong, but that's them trying to engage the Chinese market by like having a giant yeah. sequence that takes place in Hong Kong. And like it, it still didn't, I mean, Netflix still didn't respond and I don't know if that has something to do with like infrastructure that maybe they don't have like really quick internet or as large access to it in those areas or maybe it's just that it doesn't have net neutrality in that area and that's the real reason why but netflix is an american company (laughs) company tend to not like those in uh in china especially right 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 but i'll i'll zoom in on this macroeconomic figure a little more here to place this in a number that we know michael bay's lowest grossing country over all of his movies is oh man having made an average (laughs) opening of of $12,862 and an average total box office bow of $27,957. At an average ticket cost of 
79 cents American or three Oman reals. I don't know if that's how you say it. That means a total average of 1,651.09 people saw a Michael Bay movie opening weekend in Oman or roughly 3.579 ten thousandths of 1% of the population of <laughs> Oman saw a Michael Bay movie opening weekend. Oman's largest gross of all time was 2017's Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle with a $530,000 gross. Pretty wow. small box office mm-hmm. numbers coming out yeah. of Oman. But for all of you wondering where Johnny Quarter Slice might be, he's not here watching oh. a Michael Bay movie in Oman. Come on. Yeah, no, we need to stay away from uh, from Netflix movies if we want to see Johnny Quarter Slice because he's never going to admit that he watched it. You know? <laughs> he doesn't have any legs. He could well, be does Netflix it. count like quarter watches when you turn it off? <laughs> like halfway through or whatever probably not of course they can't see how many members of the household have watched it either right, right? but it's it's also well i mean unless you have a webcam maybe they can tell that kind of maybe shit. They, no. <laughs> but the uh, right now. yeah for sure they're probably wondering why the fuck we're tearing this movie apart and they're gonna raise my netflix subscription cost but <laughs> <laughs> um, the the interesting thing is, is that like the 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 algorithm before or i'm sorry their their rating system before you had to watch 70 percent of the data or the the show or movie or whatever in order for them to count it as a one view and you only had to do that once because they don't again they don't you know count repeat viewings but now it's only that you have to watch two minutes of it in order for it to be counted as a view and i'm like two minutes i mean it makes sense for like their 30 minute programs that maybe that was enough for you to decide one way or the other whether you're going to yeah. watch it but with a two hour movie or like martin scorsese's three and a half hour irishman two minutes isn't shit <laughs> like you can get through robert de niro's uh opening monologue i guess of uh the irishman in that two minutes i mean shit if you're like browsing and you just get distracted for a second Dude, it plays two minutes i know for you <laughs> i fucking hate that feature and they told you <laughs> They like there was all these articles that I read that was like how to shut that off, and I did everything that these articles say, and it still fucking auto plays on my TV, and I'm like, God damn it, I don't want to watch this shit. I don't want it to come up in my fucking oh, Gabe, you might want to rewatch this. Like, no, I don't want to watch some fucking terrible Adam Sandler movie that I happen to scroll over. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Moving on. Six Underground has an unimpressive 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb with 120. Mm, it's better, better than, than his other movies. <laughs> with 125,547 votes, a 41 on Metacritic, and a splatty 36 on Rotten Tomatoes. It does have a 60% audience score, so it is very similar to IMDb in that respect. This movie ranks highest amongst females aged 45 plus with a 6.5 what? on the. Yeah. What? <laughs> Highest amongst females aged 45 plus. I don't know if that's like Ryan Reynolds's like secret demographic that we don't know about. Yeah, his weird charisma. I don't know, man. But the lowest ratings are among females aged less than 18 with a 5.1. And I'm like, I, I thought like, I mean, maybe it's because Ryan Reynolds is like getting into his 40s and maybe he's not like the heartthrob that he was maybe that they're not so many of them. Uh, I, I really don't know. But I thought he was like a hot shit, isn't he? Wasn't he maybe. like- Maybe it's because they killed off uh, what's his name, Dave Franco, early on in the movie, mm. and the uh, the younger girls are pissed yeah. off about that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, could be. Once again, somehow nine thousand two hundred and twenty six people voted this a perfect fucking ten <laughs> best movie ever made on IMDb. My favorite reviews begin with David Fear from Rolling Stone magazine. 
David propounds, quote, guns, Ferraris, parkour, headshots, Melanie Laurent, Las Vegas, luxury yachts, thong underwear, incoherence, xenophobia, sexism, altruism, vulgar, America, (laughs) 1.5 out of five stars. America. (laughs) America. 1.5 out of five stars. Simon Abrams from The Rap proposes, it wouldn't be a Michael Bay movie if he didn't cater to the lowest common denominator. Get ready for some sexist and gay panic jokes. So it makes sense that Bay's anti-heroes are more obnoxious when they're trying to be good. Zero out of five stars. My last favorite review comes from Carrie Darling of the Houston Chronicle. Carrie denotes, Six Underground is a non-stop stunt reel with a few admittedly impressive displays of your usual visual verve here. It's just Fast and Furious crossed with an old white snake music video, but with fewer functioning brain cells. 1.5 out of 5 stars. <laughs> Lastly, Six Underground is rated R for strong violence and language throughout, bloody images, and some sexual content. Netflix has been doing this thing recently where they have to get a rating if it's an American distributor or an American movie, and they want to be considered for awards, especially because the Academy doesn't nominate movies that are not rated unless they're shorts. Yeah. But I'm wondering, you know, I mean, and, and that that's all tied into that the Academy wants your movie to play for at least one week in both New York and L.A. in order to qualify for the Oscar in theaters, that is. But like if this was going to play in theaters, which I don't remember this actually coming out in theaters, I want to say that I only saw it on Netflix. I don't think that I even saw Showtime's for it in New York. Why fucking put it before the ratings board? You know what I mean? Like to get an MPA rating is almost $60,000 for them to rate your movie. And I'm like, dude. Why pay the money, man? Like, it's going on the fucking Netflix service anyway. Like, EMA, <laughs> man. It's not going in the fucking theaters, but, and they're not going to try to push this thing for Oscars. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? So, Paul, Michael Jordan, <laughs> Michael Jordan, the man, the myth, the legend, the womanizer, the gambler, steps up to home plate. His airness lands at the age of 30, having not played competitive baseball in almost 12 years, but retired the first time from the Chicago Bulls in 93 to play MLB baseball for the Chicago White Sox. His first few months with the Sox led them to believe he needed some much-needed practice, so they kicked him off the team despite paying him the same amount as his contract with the Bulls. The (laughs) Sox and the Bulls were owned by the same people at that time. And he got transferred down to the double A minor league team. Basically, their roster of people that could play for the MLB once they improve. That's the 65 or so like jerk offs on the bench that like they pull up to the major leagues when somebody gets hurt. And he lands in our hands playing for the Birmingham Barons as we face off as the Huntsville Stars. Jordan steps up to plate for the second time tonight with a 202 season batting average. We stand in Joe David's stadium in Huntsville, Alabama. It's September 3rd, 1994. Jordan is 0 for 4 in his plate appearances with record numbers in attendance despite the field's 11,000 person capacity. This would be Jordan's last plate appearance of his short-lived baseball career. I scratch my taint as I flash a single (laughs) finger waggling about my crotch. With the sweat in your eyes, it's slightly out of focus, but you know it's one finger. As you wind up and wipe your brow, your mind flashes. Did he pull his dick out? Did he 
years, years later, when you see the cock in Fight Club, you question it again. You're unsure to this day, but you'll always remember the last strikeout of Michael Jordan when I signaled. Pitch this motherfucker to me. All right, all right. My name is Michael Bay, If you, in case you didn't know. Uh, I make commercials for a living. Really long, extended commercials. <laughs> and uh, I have the commercial to top them all. I have product placement deals with over 30 companies right now. I'm talking about Rolls-Royce, Alf Martin. I mean, I have the whole city of Abu Dhabi on board to make a movie for us right here. I've got Ryan Reynolds and his, uh, oh, yeah, his uh, gin yeah, yeah. company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he owns a gin company called American Aviator. Right, 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 right. Uh, or we could slip American that in, gin. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's all on board to create this thing. So I, I just, we're going to gather up all the sunglass companies <laughs> we've got uh we've got uh Chopard, the watch company and jewelry company on board sure sure we are going to get every fucking luxury brand that we can into this movie <laughs> sure uh i don't even know what it's about yet but <laughs> we all know that there's going to be a lot of fucking car crashes and explosions i'm gonna make it up as we go actually it's we are primed and ready to go to make a fuckload of money with this bad boy great, here. Great, great. You know what, uh, Michael? I'm going to stop you right now because it's Netflix. We don't care. Here's the money. What do you need? <laughs> yeah, I think $150 million. On great, two. great. All good. All right. Uh, all the other uh, extra money is going to come from the uh, advertising deals oh, per play, of course. Per that lower play. that lowers our overall. That's great. We love that. Not much oh, outlay. $150 million for a Michael yeah. Bay movie. All right, yeah, you're greenlit. I don't care about mm-hmm. who it's written by. I don't care about anything else. Here's the money. Let me wire it to your account and the okay. fucking Emirates. Go have fun. Do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm the right. Netflix. I just I'm going to go buy a couple Ferraris and Lamborghinis now. Thank you very much. <laughs> and oh, yes, we've got a yacht lined up to sure. sure. Fucking blow the shit you're out gonna, of that. Oh, thing. yeah. You're going to blow up a yacht? <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. You can have it for a December release, right? Uh, December? Sure. Why not? I think we can uh, get at least 400 explosions and over <laughs> 2,000 stunt works into this movie. Uh, I, I think it's going to be great. And yes, 30 companies are already right. lined up. Great. Right. Just be careful with your uh, eye-fucking of underage girls on set, Michael. Just keep that to a minimum. Yeah, yeah. I can do that all behind the scenes and uh, they'll get a free Lacoste watch after the other thing is done. So, sure, so. sure. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so Paul, seriously, just off the bat, man, like Red Bull advertising right out of the gate. And I'm okay, like, okay. I've been to one of those Red Bull air races and they are pretty badass. Actually. Right, right, right. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not shitting on that at all. Like Red Bull does some amazing content for real. But does, does he work for Red Bull? Is that what I'm led to believe? Is it the CEO who created these like magnets and made billions of dollars like works for Red Bull and is in the fucking Red Bull like stunt show? <laughs> Like what? Uh, what? Yeah, what is that setup? Likes, like seriously? Yeah, he just likes to wear branded apparel <laughs> on his helmet, on his plane. I yeah. mean, maybe we're we're led to believe that he's a hotshot pilot that can go and compete in Red Bull air races. Because right. He's just that well, wait, badass. wait, wait, wait a second. Let me. Am I am I misremembering? But doesn't Elon Musk like have a race car that he like races in like a a stock car race or something like that? Haven't I seen a picture uh, of him like wearing? I don't know. I mean, it is something to do if you're a billionaire and you're I guess, bored, yeah. you know, 
know, just to feel alive, you go buy a race car and start or you, your own race team. Or you or, like hire a bunch of immigrants to strangle yeah. you in your showers, you jerk yeah, off or something like that. That works too. Or, you know, if you're John Travolta, you buy a 747 <laughs> and fly around the world going to climate change summits right. and uh, <laughs> burning, burning the fuel consumed by small countries every time you uh, go to place to place. That's, oh, that's nice. great. Yeah. He pays his carbon offset tax though. I mean, that's something, right? Oh, well, that's that's great thanks yeah. john it doesn't, it doesn't change the fucking fumes that are in the atmosphere but whatever but dude like seriously here's here's one of the big things that like drives me nuts about action movies as they've been going forward is that in order to like up the ante in terms of like tension or like creative camera angles or something like that they've been resorting to gopros in order to do these really weird shots right and in this opening sequence there's like several images that even though they like tried to stabilize them as much as they did in the avid or or, you know, whatever editor that they were using and try to fix the uh, rolling shutter problem that's with all of these small cameras. There's so much like shaky, like jello footage in this opening sequence of just random shit. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to try to How pump- did you even notice that given the, I mean, what, there's it probably like 4,000 edits no, in it, this first- it, <laughs> it physically looks different. Oh, yeah, like yeah, it yeah. looks yeah. like terrible, like digital DV footage. Like that's yeah. what it looks like. Even though it's like 4K, there's no dynamic range and like the fucking image sensor is so goddamn small and so is the electronics behind it that it doesn't know what to do with like certain brights or certain blacks or whatever it just turns it into mush i don't mean to pump up my like respected and acclaimed directors but like christopher nolan figured out how to strap a fucking imax 70 millimeter <laughs> camera on a goddamn plane you know what i mean like yeah it can be done. And the fact that they just like resort to this cheap bullshit, like just shows me that they don't have any respect for the medium or like anything that they're doing. It's just basically a fucking skateboarding video at this point. Yeah. They don't care. Well, I was reading that he used what, nine or 10 different types of cameras for this mm-hmm. projection. Yeah, so yeah, there yeah. you go. Just whatever he's got in the bag, just throw yeah. it on, strap it you know, on something. I, I don't want to shit on this movie's cinematography too much because the guy who shot it is really, really good good like he's one of my favorite dps actually so it's like it's kind of surprising that it looks so fucking like weird and that's um the guy who shot it is bojan bazelli uh i I don't know if i'm saying his name correctly but it's bojan bazelli and bojan is like famous one of my favorites that he shot was he shot gore verbinski's the ring which even though Mm -hmm. it's not like a great movie it is so beautiful to look at like his compositions and his color scheme and he also shot gore verbinski's other movie called uh the cure for wellness which is also really beautifully shot like he's an excellent excellent dp and i just don't know what the hell happened i don't know i don't know how he gets all of his shots during sunset every day i mean time during this movie (laughs) it's it's not one sunset you know they keep coming back to it but you know it it also helps that you do like you know 18 cameras rolling at the same time then you can get the sunset from whatever angle you want (laughs) then you just pick like the best out of the group but anyway I fucking hate this opening sequence because it's like, it's got everything that I don't like about movies that are trying to be too clever, like overused voiceover, like talking directly to the audience, which is like, oh yeah, we get it, Ryan Reynolds, you're in Deadpool. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't keep breaking the fourth wall in every movie. But then there's like glitch editing being used in the opening sequences where it's like it glitches out. And I fucking hate that. It's like, it's Uh, so fast that it can cause a fucking seizure because things cut together so fast. I did have a headache after the opening (laughs) sequence, but I think that's just a typical Michael. Bay thing. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) 
It's a usual complaint that I have about a lot of these movies where mm-hmm. they have these incredible stunts, but they edit around them to give it this frenetic pace and it ends yeah. up detracting from how cool the stunt was to begin yeah. with. Yeah, That's too bad because, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot some... of pretty impressive stunt work in this movie. Yeah, and there's some good and violence in this, you know, and if it wasn't cut up so so much, it might have actually been entertaining. But it's just like as soon as, as, soon as you think that you saw something it's gone like it's off the screen already yeah and you know dude actually i was just talking to my brother about this i just watched part of a movie i couldn't finish it because i hated the editing so much but there's this uh this south korean director who did this movie called uh, the brotherhood of war and it's like this really really honest like portrayal of warfare in korea and it's violent as fuck like makes saving private ryan look like pretty on par with that level of violence <laughs> yeah but i was really impressed with the brotherhood of war and he did this other movie called my way that's on or Amazon Prime right now. So I started watching My Way and it is cut. Dude, literally every shot from the first shot is less than a second and a half long. Every shot. And so... I stopped on one scene near the beginning and he's like talking to his mom and dad, the main character. And it's about this like Korean runner who the Japanese during the like Olympics or whatever choose to squeeze out the Koreans because they don't like the Koreans during World War II. And so he like is going to put basically everything on the line in order to run in this race, even though his parents say that there's no way they're going to let you win, blah, 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 blah. But he still says that, you know, this is my passion. I don't want to do anything else. And it's a one minute scene, Paul, exactly one minute, right? 37 cuts in a one minute (laughs) scene and i'm like it doesn't this doesn't need to happen like it's less than a half a page worth of dialogue and there's 37 fucking cuts in it and it's the same thing with michael bay's movies man like i i one day i'm gonna sit down and actually count the number of cuts in every one of his movies and relate it to a real film because like this is fucking ridiculous it's gotten to the point with him that it's like I get it. You're a music director. Of course, video director. He, uh, he, he shoots with eight cameras at a time, so he has a lot of different angles to choose from. Oh, and inevitably, yeah. inevitably, <laughs> when you shoot like a stunt or a piece of action with eight or ten different cameras, camera operators are in each other's frames because like shit moves through the frame and they're panning or tilting or whatever and they see each other. So yeah. that also contributes to the frenetic like editing process is that they got to cut around those cameras rather than do a fuck ton of digital work in order to remove all the cameras that they're seeing in the shots regardless my one of my (laughs) chief chief complaints about michael bay movies is that he over tans all of his white actors like puts fake tans on them like ryan reynolds straight up orange in this movie dude (laughs) he has a trump tan like no other in this fucking thing and i'm like dude ryan for for instance like just in the opening scene look at dave franco sitting next to ryan reynolds in the car pause it and he is in a tanning bed for at least (laughs) three weeks before Maybe that's just what you do to prep for your Michael Bay role if you're white is just you sit in a tanning bed while you read through the script and could be your line for three weeks or so. Yeah. That's that's the boot camp yeah. while they, Michael Bay film. While somebody sprays you endlessly with glycerin so it looks like <laughs> you're sweating nonstop. But like I have a huge problem with the orange in every in every one of his movies. Like Michael Bay, I was explaining this to a friend. He colorizes on the the orange blue scheme constantly. Everything in his movies, every frame 
is color corrected to orange and blue. And it's because it's the highest contrast color scheme that you can have. And in all honesty, dude, like his movies are difficult to watch because like they're so contrasty and pushed in the contrast that it like kind of hurts your eyes to look at the images because it's just like it's oversaturated and over contrasty. And it's just well, weird. that's just part of the headache that is a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but migraine actually is. I gotta, I gotta pose a question to you, Gabe. Before we go on, is Michael Bay an artur? Because he fits, to me, he fits the definition of an artur director better than most directors out there. He has, you can watch his movies. He has a very specific style. You can watch two minutes of a Michael Bay movie and tell it's a Michael Bay without being told (laughs) as his camera he has his iconic camera angles i mean everything explodes at once (laughs) even though it's not physically something that would explode he has his you know lowest common denominator humor in there product placement up the ass (laughs) every every movie he makes is a love letter to the american military and he always has the best best shit in there this one though he only got the uh, UAE's military. There was no yeah. U.S. military. Yeah, but no US he, still, military. he still managed to, you know, get some Blackhawks and, <laughs> you know, yeah. dude, soldiers and tactical DNA. He always does, dude. But, you know, I mean, in answer to your question, first of all, if you don't know what an auteur director is, an auteur director is somebody that has complete control over the medium, meaning that the way that it looks, the way it's edited together, the way that it's written, the way that it yeah. feels, the pacing, everything. Like, they are so, responsible. On the same in the same plane as a steven spielberg or a quentin tarantino for example yeah okay so in in answer to your question paul i do believe that he is a type of an auteur director the difference with michael bay is that michael bay is a studio director more than anything like he directs movies that are going to make the most money for the studio so he builds his movie around that about making the most money whether that's putting shia labeouf in it because every tween girl wants to fuck him at that time (laughs) or megan fox because every 40 year old man wants to fuck a 17 year old girl or whatever it is he he puts all of this material into his movies in order to create it into this fucking studio product that he knows is going to sell and that he knows is going to attract the most number of people but i mean he knows his audience he knows his fans and he doesn't give a shit i mean by this point he he doesn't give a shit at what the critics think he just does what he wants (laughs) and he gives his fans what they want yeah and he makes a fuckload of money in the process so sure I mean, in in a way, like I said, he is an auteur director, but like he's not he's not an auteur in the sense that he has control over like he doesn't really give a shit about editing beyond that it's quick. Like he isn't really great about like how he builds tension or anything like that. It's just sort of <laughs> what makes the most sense to be visually entertaining. And the the only sure. reason that I mention that is is that he doesn't care who his editor is. He's constantly changing editors. And one of the key things about an auteur to a director if they don't edit it themselves like the Cohen brothers do is that they usually stick with the same editor because the editor understands their pace and understands what their films are and can like feel that and usually tries to stick with the same cinematographer too and like same yeah. thing with Michael Bay he constantly changes his DP he usually works with like one of five DPs but like he constantly changes and so I, I yes and no like I think <laughs> I think that I think that Michael Bay represents the very and I, I'm not joking when I say this but like the 
the very best in music video directors because like he can create a music video he can create something that sells he can create something that's like cool to look at and like interesting to like listen to or whatever but he has no idea what story is and for me like that's the number one thing about the auteur director does he have no idea or does he simply disregard it the story (laughs) i mean that's something and all of his movies it's just something that is not something that you're going to see a michael bay movie for it could give a shit it's it could more be. about seeing the chaos, the bayness on yeah. screen than anything else. <laughs> the bayhem, as they like to call the it. The bayhem, yes. There yeah. you go. Yeah, no, it's um, it, it's an interesting point, Paul. But I, I like bringing up in the same conversation when I talk about Michael Bay as I like talking about David Fincher because Michael Bay and David Fincher came up at the same time as music video directors during the late '80s and early '90s, and they worked with a lot of the same type of artists, like pop artists or heavy rock legends or whatever the the difference is, is that david fincher is equally obsessed with what camera is doing like michael bay constantly camera operates on a lot of his movies he loves operating a camera because he knows what he wants in terms of what the images that he's going for but he's not a dp you know what i mean like he doesn't understand lighting and stuff like that he understands camera movement for what he wants and david fincher is kind of the same way and that he <laughs> understands camera but he understands lighting as well as camera movement and you can well see i it. mean michael bay every nearly every exterior shot takes place during the golden hour or at sunset with the sun providing a nice lens flary thing. So, I mean, I think he does understand that. (laughs) He knows exactly what he wants with every shot. My my point is... Even though it's not creative and it's not... Not anything uh, interesting. My point is with the difference with David Fincher is that like David Fincher, when he was doing Gone Girl, there's like this really famous story about how Ben Affleck was sitting behind the monitor. And when David Fincher looked away for a second, he told one of the first AC or I'm sorry, or second ACs, the assistant camera standing next to camera to close down a third of a stop on one of the three cameras that they were using. And David Fincher came back and looked at the monitors and immediately knew that it was out with that it was closed. He told the camera operator you looked up from the fucking monitor and told the camera operator open up a third of a stop something's off something's wrong and lo and behold he opened a third of a stop and you know the image was back to what he wanted it to be and i'm like that amount of detail is what i'm saying about david fincher is that he understands cinematography michael bay understands camera move like hmm. he understands uh, what might look good in front of the lens there's a difference there but anyway i'm sorry let's let's move back to this <laughs> for a second because like this this movie he he constantly with all of his movies he loves using stereotypes and in the opening oh, yeah. scene of the movie the 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 chase scene with the Alfa Romeo which incidentally what is the number one vehicle that you do not want to run away from anybody in in Florence probably a bright neon green <laughs> fucking Alfa Romeo you know what I mean like it doesn't fucking fit in with anything that's on the street in Florence. On top of the fact that Florence is like this unbelievably beautiful city. And I don't know where these henchmen got these giant GMC Suburbans <laughs> to chase down in Florence. But whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Advertising campaign, of course. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But like the, the cliche I was going back to is that during the chase scene, they're spinning around in this one plaza and there's nuns, babies, and puppies almost being hit for comedic results. And I'm just like, okay, so w- the only thing that he didn't have in that scene or that shot was a fucking old lady. 
Brady, you know, like, but I guess he handled that kind of with the nuns that kind of older. <laughs> I'm just like, dude, but, throw yeah. everybody in front of it, man. It's classic well Michael fucking... Bay for the nuns to flip off whoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, but then, you know, I mean, there's, there's all this like chauvinistic sexual material in this movie. And right off the bat, they make a squirting joke about women and porno slow-mo of the blood squirting out of the one woman and hitting the other woman in the face. And it's like super crude and just like, it's not funny. Like it's not, play, it's supposed to be funny, but I'm like, okay, yeah. He said, oh yeah, she squirted. And then the juvenile. This movie's not for you, Gabe. It's for oh, the Michael Bay audience. <laughs> and their giant trucks that spew <laughs> out huge clouds of hydrogen. Did you see? Carbons. Did you see a lot of like the monster advertising in this movie? There's a lot of oh, monster yeah, advertising. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, in, in this opening scene too, they like they drive past this random street car- corner, and there's this like model sitting on a Vespa right on the corner that distracts Dave Franco for a second. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Because it's Italy, like, and there's a joke in there too. But at the same time, it's like this has no bearing on the scene, and it's not the, it's not reinforcing the humor of the scene. Like, it's just this random joke that they thought that they were gonna throw in because it was funny. It's the random Michael Bay pussy joke. Yeah. So, Paul, you know, I mean, tell tell me the truth here, man. Like you, I know that you try to play devil's advocate when it comes to Michael Bay, and we've had this argument for many, many years over the (laughs) friends. But it's um, do you did you enjoy this movie in any way? I hated it. I just hated it. But what I I can look past my hatred for this movie and see the brilliance of Michael Bay. (laughs) (laughs) Just. The the capitalistic like fervor fever of Michael Bay in this movie and just how much of a money grab it was and how successful it was and I can yeah. always I can always appreciate the the attitude of Michael Bay and just <laughs> not giving a fuck about anything except the paycheck that's coming and the residuals <laughs> and the ad revenue and everything like that yeah yeah and I I yeah there's a part of me that appreciates his nonchalance about destroying the art and the American <laughs> way of life. <laughs> I mean, he, so. uh, what Michael Bay represents to me more than anything is the absolute worst in American society that we have to offer. Like, I, I know that I posed this question to you before about if you could pick out one movie that represented America filmmaking, like all the worst, like fucking things that are in American filmmaking, what would it be? And at the time you had talked about Independence Day but like Independence Day has some like redeemable merit to it. Like I think yeah. that with me, I would have to pick something from Michael Bay and probably specifically Transformers 5, The Last Night. <laughs> because like The Last Night yeah. is just, it's unintelligible. Like there's nothing yeah. in it that makes fucking sense. Like even from a basic story perspective, you're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I just don't understand how he's still like making money. It like represents all the worst areas of American society and people just eat this shit up. And it's like, this is why we can't have nice things, America. Like this is exactly (laughs) why we can't have nice things. Because we have people like Michael Bay making movies that everyone all over the world is like, you see that? That's America. (laughs) 
that's the problem you know what i mean because if they if they looked at like a truly great american voice director like pt anderson that's a very very different american voice in film or if you look yeah. at like another great american director like barry jenkins on the complete opposite side with the african-american diaspora it is a very specific and american voice and like that or even spike lee for christ's sake like yeah. spike lee is one of the most american like original voices that's ever existed in film <laughs> but like he represents all the things that are like um i don't even want to say interesting because it's a little biased but it's like all the things that are like powerful about american society whether it's good or it's bad and like michael yeah. bay represents everything that's commercial and fucking idiotic and like consumeristic <laughs> and that's what i hate about his movies so goddamn much yeah. dude and yet it's an important part of our american culture and our american heritage gabe and so <laughs> That's I mean, where Michael Bay takes his place amongst the great Artur American directors. Do you do you think that he's going to be remembered in twenty or thirty years? Like seriously, I, I, like when he stops, whenever he stops directing, do you think that in thirty years after that point they're going to remember his movies? I think he's already had a significant influence on film in general. Hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, he kind of the he worst, of course, shape. but I mean, he did kind of help shape nineties action movies movies though you know what yeah, i mean for sure so like between between bad boys and the rock like he really shaped like the second half of the 1990s in the way the action films are done like him and jerry bruckheimer kind of like spearheaded that yeah but you know whatever <laughs> you know i mean let's, let's let's go back to this movie for a second because i, I want to talk about the the parkour in this movie right like i thought parkour, when parkour was cool i know in, like, dude 1999. like it, isn't this a little like late to have like a parkour thing because like i remember that it was a big thing in action movies especially in like 2005 because it was in like casino royale and like district b13 which i, I don't know if you remember that movie yeah and yeah, it like classic. it's it's a it's a very specific part of this early 2000s and like it seems really late in 2019 to have a fucking parkour guy you know what i mean i don't know maybe this was to like to appeal. Do? <laughs> i don't know man like did the parkour guy need to exist was his parkour thing elemental to his character and his like you know Eric, part in this story? you know what i'm saying though like <laughs> did it need to be part of who he was playing in order for this movie to work because to be honest with like I'm, I'm trying to be honest and like objective here is that like the parkour shit in this movie i already saw it done better in so many other movies that it didn't do anything for me you know like it wasn't exciting and it wasn't like nerve-wracking or make me sweat or anything like that it was just kind of like more run-of-the-mill parkour scenes you know like i'd seen better shit on youtube so yeah. i mean the opening scene of casino royale with daniel craig doing parkour is like fucking amazing dude like yeah. it's so good and on top of the fact they constantly like slap it away because like you know daniel craig is a big guy and there's that moment where he doesn't want to do parkour anymore and he just runs through the fucking wall oh. instead of like doing <laughs> It's so good. But, but like this movie, it's like it's trying really hard to make parkour still look cool. And I'm just kind of like, and this guy is like in his late 20s, early 30s. And I'm just like, this guy would be known as what's called a douchebag. Like <laughs> if it's not, if it's not some teenager or somebody in their early 20s doing it, if it's somebody that's in their early 30s, I'm like, dude, grow the fuck up. Like, what are you doing? Is there a term for that? Like the dude bro who's past his prime? I mean, it's a bro, you know, dude. Who's... Bros, bros are always past their prime. Wow. It's got to be I mean, a more descriptive think, term for like the 40-year-old dude like <laughs> 
Think of every bro though, like bros that are in their like 30s or 40s that are still trying to like hang out with the cool kids, but they're like, you know, insurance salesmen or whatever. And they like went to fucking like some fraternity. They're always the same, even in their 40s. And like, you can always tell they just never grow out of that bro phase. And that's something that I think like really identifies that. But I think, I think we need a new term for it. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to spend, spend a few hours tonight kind of, you know, figure out the term. For a while, I was trying to like develop this term for those guys that watch UFC that jack their trucks up and put the big tires and wear a monster and all that other shit. And I came up yeah. with peacocks. Like, that's what they are. They're fucking peacocks. Yeah. They're usually short. They're usually kind of diminutive in their size and stature. It's like they're a fucking peacock, but they're one of the worst because those move on into their 40s and then they get those fucking like giant pipes on their truck that they blow smoke. <laughs> What do they call them? They call them a rolling coal. Yeah, rolling coal. Yeah. <laughs> White trashery, like that bounds through different yeah. groups. But yeah, it's just like it's it's interesting. But anyway, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pull it back to this movie for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting distracted here but i hate how ryan reynolds hasn't moved past the deadpool thing like i get that he's like this guy that's like charismatic and funny and likes the vulgar jokes and shit like that he's been that way since van wilder like even even with deadpool i was kind of sitting there like oh yeah i already saw this like kind of shtick in van wilder like you know the same kind of humor yeah. it's just now he's got guns that's the only yeah. difference but it's like he's been carrying it on for way too long now and i'm just worried that ryan reynolds is gonna see closer to the age of 50 and be like wow what the fuck am i doing like i'm <laughs> i'm still profiting off of this shit and i'm really worried about that because i'm just like dude he's he's fun and he's charismatic but he needs to like reinvent himself and quick otherwise yeah. he's gonna get stuck in that. he's got a mortgage to pay gabe or several yeah. mortgages and sure you know as uh sometimes you gotta take the buck and just go with that <laughs> go with what works right mm -hmm. another thing that drives me nuts about the opening sequence is all the top 20 music that's constantly playing in the background to like underscore these action scenes like something that michael bay knows really how to fucking profit off of his music and like even his original scores like steve jablonski doing the transformers movies like he set himself up to be one of the most like prolific and successful composers out there and his scores for the most part work in every one of the transformers movies even though they they kind of rely on Hans Zimmer a lot but that's besides the point but like <laughs> he he knows how to like really rely on the music and that score and I really found myself in this movie like missing any original score it didn't seem like a Michael Bay movie because there wasn't like for instance like Trevor Rabin for the movie Armageddon yeah his his score is like constant screeching mm -hmm. guitar and like these Aerosmith riffs they kind <laughs> of work for the movie yeah sure but like Michael Bay with this movie like all of that's gone it's just been replaced with all this EDM shit. And I'm like, okay, you know, I know that you're trying to like sell it or maybe you're trying to sell the soundtrack, but at the same time, it's like, where, where is that? I, I'm going to skip ahead past the opening. There's too much to say about the opening that I fucking hated, but. How um, long was that though? Uh, 20, just, uh, 20 goddamn minutes, dude. 20 was, minutes. Is from a technical span, like a uh, car chase scene. I mean, I don't know if you could ever top that as far as ridiculousness. Well, here's I mean, the thing. Here's the you, thing, uh, like I think of the Fast and Furious movies with their car chase scenes, right? And I don't know this this movie. Uh, <laughs> it's like so dumb, but uh, but in, in this opening scene, that? though, in this opening scene, they don't have a Lamborghini jumping out of one building in Dubai, flying through the air between two skyscrapers and bursting through the other building in Dubai. That was in a Fast and Furious. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think the runtime of that first 20 minutes is like kind of interesting in that it's such a long opening chase scene. But the problem with the opening chase scene for me is that there's no pacing to it, right? Like a really good car chase yeah. constantly ups the tension as it's going on. Sure. Even if it's like comedic, like they still up the tension as it gets closer yeah. to the end of the car chase. Yeah. Now, of course, I mean, it's a Michael Bay movie, so you're not invested in the characters or the story or anything that's I mean, you on. don't have to be invested like, in the characters. I mean, if story. you look at, say, Drive, which has probably the best car chase scenes that put to film there. Other than so Mad Max good. Fury Road. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> let's, yeah, let's put it in uh, modern terms. Yeah. Yeah. Modern world. There's, there's really nothing going on in the car chase. You don't care about the characters. <laughs> of course, you never care about the characters in any point in the movie as far as i know right. they're just kind of there you know a, a big problem a big problem that i have with michael bay that you've mentioned before and so have i is that like the military porn that he has on display here yeah and like that flashback scene to afghanistan that really doesn't inform <laughs> anything about Corey hawkins's character because it doesn't here's the thing is it doesn't show him being a good sniper it shows him being a sniper that wants to do his job and doesn't and it kind of tries yeah. to form an emotional connection with him on that point that he's trying to commit suicide but it doesn't show that he's a good sniper like if you if you take like somebody like i don't remember his name right now but the guy that they based american sniper on that had 150 confirmed kills right like he was a good sniper and you you have like this if you wanted to show that scene which you don't need to but besides the point and you show the scene of military porn and you show what a great fucking sniper he is that he hits a guy at 1700 meters or whatever then that might be more informative toward his like ability to be on this team but like what yeah. was his the way that ryan reynolds goes about getting him on the team is more the way that a predator like seeks out like sexual prey you know what i mean he like he looks for the damaged goods that don't really have like a background and they don't want to they don't have any self-respect <laughs> and he like profits upon that in order to like do whatever he wants with them and that's the way it comes off more in this movie rather than somebody that's a respected part of the team or somebody yeah. that actually brings real skill to the team you know and that's a problem i mean any heist movie or i mean this isn't even a heist movie though like what the fuck is this like they they <laughs> well, have i mean there's like kind of the team assembly aspect of this movie that's so. what i was gonna say is that like with a good heist movie like the team assembly part of it you see how good these people are and why they're on the team but Corey hawkins it's just like hey you're gonna put that gun in your mouth and kill yourself or you want to come and work for me like that's yeah. his choice and i'm like it's not that he's a great sniper you know what i mean like remember how they didn't want you to pull the trigger i will never tell you not to pull the trigger and then he tells them not to pull the fucking trigger halfway through the movie oh damn yeah, yeah. great screenwriting by the way you fucking <laughs> asshole going back to him reinforcing all the worst aspects of America is that like in the opening scene or one of the opening scenes when Corey Hawkins' character dies quote unquote by falling off the front of a fucking barge not a barge a, tr uh, a ferry he falls off the front of the ferry and he somehow like lands to the side of the ferry even though he fell off the front of it I don't know how the fuck that worked but you know besides the point is that he died quote unquote and then they show his funeral and they crack jokes about how emotional his brother is and I'm like this isn't like <laughs> 
like, stop making fun of overly emotional men. Like his brother died and he's showing his feelings, however they may come off. But like sitting there and laughing at At it, it's just like, it's reminding, it's, it's reinforcing that stereotype in America that men can't be emotional. And it like leads to toxic masculinity, you know, like that's showing your feelings isn't okay. You should slough it off and make some gay joke or whatever. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, like it's, it's so stupid. That is that is trademark Michael Bay there. You know, it's another trademark of Michael Bay is his lack of geography. Like he he wants to make people like I I know that people that go to see Michael Bay movies probably don't know a lot of geography, but like the plane graveyard that he fucking lives in at the beginning of the movie, that's in Arizona. And it's one of the biggest fucking plane graveyards (laughs) in the world. And everybody knows about it. Like literally it's this huge tourist attraction. I'm like, if he's living there to try to live quote unquote off the grid, he's doing a shitty job because people go there all the goddamn time i've been there for christ's sake (laughs) (laughs) but you know he he goes into it more with like that big circular building that you know the the dictator is supposedly in he throws the guys off near the end of the movie throws the generals off that's in abu dhabi dude like that is a very well-known building because it's the only one like it in the fucking world and that's why it's so important i'm like dude if you're going to use unique architecture and the way that i wrote it in my notes was is that would be like some chinese filmmaker like making a movie for china where the main like big time action hero lives in the empire state building <laughs> and everybody around the world's like that's fucking that's the empire state building nobody lives in there you know what i mean <laughs> You're going to immediately be taken out. And he did He did a similar thing in one yeah. of the Transformers movies. I think it was the third one. Is that one of the main bad guy, like CEO dudes or whatever. He lives in this building that's right by a lake. And it's got like these wings on the building. It's this beautiful building. And I'm like, that is the Milwaukee Public Art Museum. Like anybody that's in Chicago or in the Midwest or anybody that knows anything about art knows about that fucking building because it's the <laughs> only one like it in the world. Yeah. Like to say that that was his mansion <laughs> like get the fuck out of here like how stupid do you think no. the audience he does is? that he does that in uh i think it's transformers 3 where they're in the air and space museum because one of the transformers is one of the planes yeah and he rips and the so fucking they, garage door open and they're so in they arizona. open the garage door, yeah and then they're in arizona suddenly <laughs> in the like, in the ah, fucking the- plane graveyard again <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, likes to film there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like the fucking aeronautic and space yeah. museum is in the Smithsonian in Washington, DC. And he like fucking rips the door open and boom, he's in the middle it's of all, fucking goddamn Arizona. It's all part of the Michael Bay mindset where it just doesn't matter. None I mean, he does it. Matters. He does it in the opening of this movie is that he cuts, is there... <laughs> cuts from the Palazzo Vecchio in Florence where they're like almost run over the nuns. And then they cut yep. to this wide shot and they're in Sardinia. And I'm like, Sardinia yep. is 400 miles. <laughs> miles away from florence how the fuck yeah, did they get yeah. there all of a sudden no but. it doesn't matter gabe is there an explosion yes yeah, then it's yeah, fine yeah, that's it's it fine. <laughs> so ryan ryan reynolds is this billionaire vigilante who hires special forces people to carry out covert missions killing off world he makes leaders magnets yeah by the way so, the inventor of the neodymium magnet is a japanese guy yeah, i know <laughs> 
<laughs> but he he makes these magnets and he hires these operatives in order to carry out these covert missions killing off world leaders if they want to kill a world leader for his own personal enjoyment and opinion on whether this person is bad or not wouldn't people notice that he's buying millions of dollars worth of tech and gear besides the fact that he's like flying a plane that isn't like a stealth jet or anything like that that is very <laughs> visible on radar screens and he's crossing fucking international borders of war-torn middle eastern countries oh, man. did they see that i shit? love one of my favorite parts in this movie is they're flying to hong kong and they're like okay we're gonna go under the radar and it the little like subtitle says they're in mongolia so basically they'd have yeah, the to Mong- fly across <laughs> the entirety of the interior of china right under on the radar the pacific with, ocean <laughs> with no one noticing that they're flying over china until yeah. they get to hong kong that amused me i like that mm-hmm. it's it's a uh, true Michael Bay. Plus, I mean, don't don't they say that it's like the Gobi Mongolian Desert or something like yeah. that, which sits yeah. just north of the Korean border? No, I mean Gobi is like uh, at least. I mean, it's a thousand huge miles fucking, yeah. to the north. <laughs> To the northwest of Hong Kong. I mean, you'd have to fly across literally the entire interior <laughs> of China to get from the Gobi to Hong Kong. So, yeah. yeah, but I mean, because but it's fine. The Gobi it's desert fine. is so big, it seems they, like all oh, that's, that's believable. <laughs> they had the exterior shots filmed in Abu Dhabi in the UAE yeah. to use, and so they're like, "Well, what what's a good deserty thing?" that looks like oh Mongolia that's somewhere right. near Hong Kong yeah because I mean I guarantee you that somebody if they weren't slick enough would have been like oh we'll put them near the Atacama desert and it's like that's in South America you dipshit <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> But I mean, his his motivations is like this billionaire vigilante is like on the same scale of like Ted Kaczynski is that he thinks that he has this like idea about who's wrong in the world and mails them packages in order to kill them. <laughs> and it's the same thing with Ryan Reynolds, except that he's a billionaire. And I'm like, OK, so you're taking a little bit of Batman and you're taking a little bit of Ted Kaczynski and you're mixing them together and you're like, oh, OK. Well, don't you remember the flashback scene with all of the close ups of the like ethnic looking people looking <laughs> sad in the yeah. refugee camp getting gassed. Oh, dude, that gas sequence where they're yeah. dropping the bombs all the way to the ground and it's exploding in fire and concussion and killing people. I'm like, gas bombs explode in the atmosphere. That's how you disperse gas. Like, <laughs> if anybody doesn't know, like, Jesus Christ. And I know they're trying to make them out to be like this weird, yeah. like sort of amalgamation of like Pinochet as well as like Saddam Hussein, but it doesn't work because neither <laughs> one of them has like any sort of like detail fleshed out in this guy he's just kind of this middle eastern dictator whatever stereotype because yeah, no, no, no. the middle east is bad remember Turgistan. Turgistan. <laughs> yeah remember? Tur- what a stupid country Turgistan, name no. if you're gonna bring up <laughs> if you're gonna bring up a fake country you say Turgistan with a g like g <laughs> like what the fuck was that dude uh, but anyway i you know part of part of something it's, it's a good it's a delicate approach to middle eastern politics and right. the world events sure know? yeah here's the thing right the, these six people want to overthrow this dictator and establish a democracy while throwing in the brother right of the dictator into this third world country but these people have obviously never heard of a power vacuum like in any middle eastern country or any <laughs> South American country. Like we tried this exact thing in Afghanistan and Iraq and it didn't work. Like after we fucking killed Saddam Hussein, there was a power vacuum where 18 different factions were all fighting at the same time and they couldn't establish a democracy in order to have a democratic election because everybody claimed that they had the right in order to run as president in the separate America. 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 <laughs> 
it's so poorly thought right. out, man. It's, <laughs> well, I mean, it's not even America, though. That's the worst thing is that while it is American influence based on Ryan Reynolds' presuppositions based that he is an American dude, like it is his own personal idea. It's not the American machine is a general thing or the American war machine is general. It is him and five other jerk offs trying to establish democracy based on what they think should happen in that country. I'm like, okay, this is fucking fantastic. This is the story of America for real. A yep. billionaire thinks that he can become Get some uh, white saviors <laughs> that come in and fix everything oh, sure. for all those sure. poor, poor people. <laughs> Has nothing to do with culture or anything. It's just the that one guy that needs to be removed. Yeah, you know, fix uh, everything and make another- everything better. Another really bad thing about Michael Bay movies that bother me is that every bad guy in Michael Bay movies always has a profound sense of culture. Like they're very well cultured when it comes to paintings or music or fucking architecture or whatever. And it bothers me because I'm just like, are you trying to say that these things are what bad people embrace? You know what I mean? On top of the fact that like, it's like this anti-intellectual like sentiment that's in this movie that pisses me off. But on top of the fact that 90% of the dictator scenes take place in the fucking Louvre in Abu Dhabi. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, you can't, that's not his mansion. Like, again, going back to Michael Bay picking iconic areas to be, like, staged in. I'm like, dude, that is a very, very famous fucking landmark. Like, you can go online and just see it randomly coming up on, like, richest places in the world. You can see the Louvre in Abu Dhabi amongst that. It's just like, come on, man. How fucking stupid do you think I am? Plenty. You watched, you sat through the whole two hours, so... (laughs) (laughs) but you know i mean he he travels all around the world with these people and they do these covert operations but i'm like wouldn't a rich american like ryan reynolds stick out like a sore fucking thumb everywhere he goes like everybody would be able to see him coming from a mile away they don't even like try he's a rich (laughs) businessman yeah that that shitty scene with the fucking power station where he's talking about like never underestimate the power of a good suit and i'm like okay (laughs) so these two guys that obviously have like these fake accents supposedly from scotland that look american like are demanding that you run a fucking failure test on your grid without identifying themselves and without any background that's just a surprise test like there isn't some international nuclear power Council that travels around the world and does this kind of shit. Like this guy running the test is the biggest fucking moron in the world if he believes that this is okay. And then they just do it by like insulting his like sense of pride as a man. Like, oh, you know, station two failed. And he's like, oh yeah, that guy's a fucking idiot. Like, come on, man. Get the fuck out of here. Beyond that, every woman in Michael Bay's movies wears way too much makeup, like all the time. They go in for the close-up, and that shit is caked on there, man. Don't forget the low angle of the Oh, for sure. You know, you were you were saying earlier about you were saying earlier about the prep that goes into being in a Michael Bay movie, right? With the men. One of the one of the actual prep stories of a man in a Michael a Michael Bay movie was Ben Affleck. When Ben Affleck was 
in Armageddon, Michael Bay has a signature shot, which I don't actually remember it in this, which is the low angle dolly around them. You know, it's the Bad Boys 2 sequence where he stands up in a frame and Martin Lawrence says, shit just got real. <laughs> that that shot, uh-huh. it's in every one of Michael Bay's movies, but I honestly don't remember it in this one. But besides the fact, mm. what I was trying to say was that Ben Affleck, Michael Bay wanted to use this angle. And when they started doing camera tests, they realized that Ben Affleck's teeth look really small. So they sent him to the fucking dentist and he got $40,000 of fucking surgery done on his teeth in order to replace his real teeth with bigger veneers in order to make his like tooth to gum ratio a little more like evened (laughs) out. So that way when they did the low angle shot, he had an American smile, not this like small tooth chiclet mouth motherfucker. And like you can you can see it, and like you can see it in the uh, in the that that movie was 1998. But if you watch 1997's Goodwill Hunting and you see Ben Affleck smile in that, he has the small teeth. And then you look at him in Armageddon, and you can see the difference in his smile. And it's like Jesus Christ! Like while Michael Bay was correct in that his smile looked weird with the tooth to gum ratio, to fucking make him replace all of his teeth. <laughs> in order to be in this movie is fucking nuts. So what did the women have to do to be in this movie? I mean, aside have, from- Have big breasts and be pounds, willing to pull uh, them out. That's yeah. what they had to do. Uh, and be able to good. be in and be able to be in Victoria's Secret lingerie uh, throughout this movie yeah. that he could profit on because he's done plenty of Victoria's Secret ads <laughs> over the years. That's actually where he met Rosie Huntington Whiteley, who is in the third Transformers movie, who took over the yeah. Megan Fox love interest role was during the fucking Victoria's Victoria's Secret runway promotional campaign <laughs> ad that they were shooting. He met her there and decided, you know what? This model is perfectly suited to fucking see a franchise picture of a giant $200 million movie as the love oh. interest. Well, so she has certainly no took actions. advantage with the, the low angle ass shot of her in that movie. Yeah. Um, well, in Transformers 2, he like damn near sticks the camera up Megan Fox's ass when she's sitting on the motorcycle and it's like Jesus Christ man it's not okay at all <laughs> but like you said Michael Bay Noah knows what his audience wants yeah. He puts it in there. It has all of the things that you could possibly you know, want from a Michael Bay movie. I want to talk about this ridiculous action sequence that's going on right behind us right now. And that's when they're in Hong Kong. I'm going to skip way ahead. I'm going to skip <laughs> over a lot of my grievances because we got fucked down. But... <laughs> I want to talk about this shot because, or this scene, because this scene has the most ridiculous, like physical bullshit that I've seen in a while. And that's that he shoots the infinity pool in order to get it to flow over (laughs) the apartment and flood the apartment. So it bursts the glass out and like knocks all the fucking henchmen out of the glass as it's bursting through. Like, okay. So number one, that pool based on the size of it that I saw is probably around a 30,000 gallon pool. And like the fucking penthouse that he's in is probably at least 15 thousand square feet like a yeah. thirty thousand gallon pool would only put about <laughs> six inches worth of water yeah. over the entire place no. in this fucking apartment definitely Not- enough to flood the entire apartment and knock yeah. everyone out of the windows <laughs> and not only that but like burst the fucking windows at force <laughs> in order to shove them out of the fucking window that's like millions of gallons dude that just randomly <laughs> appeared 
You know, a, a story thing in here that didn't make any sense to me is that the opening sequence, I, I had to think about it long and hard after I saw this movie about what the opening sequence's point was. And it had to do with them getting that eyeball in order to unlock the phone in order to lead them to the generals that are part of his, like, pe- the dictator's peanut gallery that are keeping him in fucking, like, power in order to do the assassination scene in Vegas, which didn't make any sense in that sense. Like, why the fuck would they go to Vegas? But besides the point, I'm like... <laughs> So wait, the eyeball led them to the phone or opened the phone that allowed them to know who the generals were. But I'm like, this is a dictator in a foreign country. Like even Saddam Hussein and fucking Osama bin Laden's generals or seconds or whatever were known worldwide before the fucking, like before the government got involved. And I'm like, wouldn't their names be very easily accessible online? (laughs) Why the fuck was this giant sequence even necessary? They needed some crude jokes about eyeballs and yeah and they needed that weird sex scene where they made fun of the guy like dying while inside the other pro the prostitute which was fucked up he made a cum (laughs) joke dude after he shoots that guy in the head at least he didn't finish (laughs) yeah You're so fucking bad what is what is with that i don't understand but i'm sorry anyway So I don't understand. There's there's a big part of this movie where like Javi gets everybody to like tell each other. No, it's not Javi. I'm sorry. The 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 sniper number seven tell or gets everybody to tell each other their names in that one scene near the end. But like the, his, you know, the number three, the Mexican guy. Or the, they don't even Didn't actually feel identify. like so much more connected to the characters after they said. Their oh names. sure, yeah. No, fuck you. Yeah, it's great character development right there. He he goes to that place with his alzheimer's ridden mother and explains the whole goddamn plan to her and i'm like these people are supposed to be professional like i don't understand like these guys are supposed to be the best of the best and he's like going to tell this woman and on top of that he doesn't even wait until the room is empty there's like that fucking guy standing there staring at him then they make the one flew over the cuckoo's nest joke where he says like hey nurse ratchet what's your fucking problem and like kicks him out of the room but i'm like dude they're all idiots like every single one of these people is morons that are very easily fucking traceable and to say that las vegas is the most security camera laden city in the in the fucking world is actually 100% wrong the most security camera laden country city in the world is london london has Mm -hmm. more security cameras than anywhere else in the fucking world and that's where a lot of visual or i'm sorry where a lot of facial recognition technology is actually tested out is in london yeah because they have so many fucking security cameras but whatever i mean what do i know i just read every once in a while gabe reading is the enemy of the michael bay film you really (laughs) you over prepped for this by reading (laughs) Like that line in um, that line in the Simpsons movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like, "I was elected to lead, not to read." Number three. <laughs> <laughs> but besides the fact, so <clears throat> the dictator's brother is in that super massive and super expensive penthouse that we had talked about just yeah. a second ago. But he's he's supposed to be in a secret stash house, but that's on like <laughs> the 90th floor of some fucking apartment that's like in the beautiful center of Hong Kong. And like, he's supposed to be secret there. Like how the fuck did they arrange that? <laughs> 
Like, seriously, I know that there's plenty of people in New York that buy, like, penthouse apartments that are, like, weird, like, oil seeks with, like, not a lot of, like, I don't know, background or, like, data out about them. And they buy these $200 million apartments in New York. But we at least know who they are and where they're from, even though we don't know all the details about them as a person. Because I don't know if Abu Dhabi, I don't know if uh, Hong Kong has anything like this, but in New York, if any real estate transaction is more than $3 million, it triggers an automatic response from the FBI in order to look into it on whether it's money laundering because yeah. there's so much high dollar value in New York. I'm like, I don't know if Dubai or Hong Kong has anything like that. I don't really know. I mean, their government's pretty corrupt in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's uh, there's a lot of shady shit that goes on in Hong Kong, but uh, I think it's more of people in Hong Kong trying to get their money out of China. Yeah. That's more of the real problem. I- I'm not going to go into politics anymore. I'll just say like, fuck the new Mulan remake because that actress is a one China actress and she's made an ass of herself on the international stage pumping up that movie and pumping up her pro one China beliefs. Yeah. I'm like, no, fuck that, dude. Like that's some <laughs> fucked up shit. But anyway, so going past politics for a second, they have that scene right before they go into the penthouse where they all wear like bright neon masks and shit like that. And they all get like gassed by fucking laughing gas bombs. And it shows these people actually laughing and not being able to like control their laughter (laughs) mechanism. I'm like laughing gas doesn't do that. It doesn't make you laugh. Like it's called laughing gas. Yes. But anybody that's been to the dentist and gotten knocked out by the dentist that was laughing gas that knocked you out. You weren't sitting there laughing. You got knocked out pretty goddamn quick. You know what I mean? And then him to like make all those jokes. You want fuck this movie for the only, I'll only give one reason to say fuck this movie. And that's that the guy, Javi, the number three, quotes Breaking Bad and says, I am the danger when he's high on laughing gas. And I was like, oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> God damn you. You don't get to say that line, you fucking hack piece of shit. It's pretty funny how they show up in a Ferrari just to, you know, keep a low profile with their neon masks and everything like that. Their Gucci bags. Actually, they weren't Gucci. I forget the name brand on there now, but they were all name brand. Yeah, they were for sure. So what was your favorite product placement in this movie? (laughs) You know, I mean, there's so many favorite, you know, I mean, to be, Mm -hmm. to be honest, like the only part of it that sort of worked for me in the product placement that I was like, that looks really cool, but not that I can go out and buy it. Well, I'll actually say two is that one of them was where they introduced Marie Laurent's character, like taking over the fucking, um, when she was still a CIA operative and she takes over the convoy when they're in the middle of that desert and she's Uh leaning against that Rolls Royce ghost. Yeah, it looks pretty sweet. That looks pretty sweet, dude. And the the because Range the whole Rovers point of that scene. That, I mean, that's supposed to be character development, but it was all about. Well, no, 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 it, Paul. It was to be clever because she's standing next a Rolls Royce ghost, and she becomes a ghost. You see that shit? Oh fuck! It's multi layered. <laughs> God damn, that's good product placement right there. Yeah, good product placement. But I mean, that kind of worked for me. And then again, with Melanie Laurent, and it's maybe it's because I love her, but she like looks at her watch when she's downstairs at the apartment complex, and it's like that beautiful chapard like watch yeah. with the yellow face and i'm like that is a beautiful watch yeah. and i'm a huge now, watch head those chapard ads did make me want to get a new watch actually it was yeah. like oh man those watches are fucking nice <laughs> but guess what you i don't know how much they go <laughs> I think the THX ad was pretty funny. Oh, dude, I hated that. <laughs> that's, 
so pissed off at that. I was like, okay. So they put these high intensity speakers on the windows to blow them out. And like the sound that they use to blow out the windows is the THX sound. I'm like, the THX sound, number one, is a frequency sweep. It wouldn't blow out the windows even with high volume. Like even with ear splitting volume, you couldn't blow it out with the, the fucking frequency sweep. The reason that glass breaks with sound <laughs> is a fucking scientific phenomenon known as fucking harmonics, okay? Each individual object has its own internal harmonic, meaning that that is the frequency at which it vibrates enough to break it the fuck apart. And glass, yeah. glass has one specific frequency that does it, and each piece of glass is different according to thickness, but the frequency is basically around the same range, and it's around four or 5,000 hertz, which is right where your voice starts making a weird noise that's where well, it depends on the part. piece of glass it's the resonant frequency so yeah each plate glass window would have different frequency dependent on its size and its right. thickness right but the frequency sweep could cover that range of the txx but THX. none of the sequence none of the frequencies be would be sustained long enough in order to crack the glass then you're yeah. relate then you're relating it specifically <laughs> to intensity which intensity in order to shatter glass is well over 200 decibels which isn't possible with something in that frequency range unless it's a giant transducer in order to fucking transmit that amount of energy <laughs> but whatever you know it doesn't matter <laughs> but he had the little thx logo on his phone and oh, everything dude. i mean was, what was yeah. that whether were they specifically <laughs> making fun of george lucas or who were they going after there with that joke i think they were just trying to plug a thx certified sound system and how how good it is and if you want you could turn <laughs> it up and smash your own windows in your house and but okay so fuck up your neighbor's shit too this, i mean this is this is me being a fucking nerd, okay? A home theater nerd. THX, all it means is that you can fucking... I mean, it is a battery of like 300 tests that they do in order to get a THX certification. THX, all it means when it comes to speakers is that it can, can, it can continuously develop a 90 decibel signal between 20 hertz and 20 kilohertz. That's THX approved with no distortion in either way, plus or minus zero dB across that entire spectrum. That's what THX checks means 80 decibels is not loud enough to shatter glass <laughs> it doesn't matter what the fuck they believe or what they're trying you know, to i've had i've actually had my thx certified sound system since 2003 and every time i hear a different sound system i'm like ah, it's just doesn't sound good it just sucks i mean don't get me wrong dude like i've i've owned i've owned plenty of thx equipment over the years like i owned a bunch of clipped speakers over the years that were thx certified i owned an onkyo amplifier that was thx certified i owned onkyo speakers that were thx certified but like i transitioned completely away from thx because so much of what i heard in higher speaker lines by definitive technology or svs was so much better than anything that i heard from the thx line and yeah. that that's for real because THX is kind of stuck in the certification process that is kind of obsolete with the oncoming of like Dolby Atmos and DTSX <laughs> and fucking 4K HDR. It's kind of all out of date. It was fine during the time of DVD and early Blu-ray, but it's gotten worse over the years because it's like, who gives a fuck anymore? Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> 
they make enough great shit anyway. But anyway, that's the get away from my home theater nerd All thing right. for a second. All right. So we're gonna, both going to go by Chopard watches and, <laughs> and we agree. I like there's a, a scene. I don't remember which one it is. I think it's when they go to Vegas and they kill all those dudes in the hotel room. But they like <laughs> smash this bottle of champagne. But oh, the yeah, label yeah. is perfectly aligned yeah. to show it's a label. Of <laughs> I wrote that down. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. All right. So have, it really have, took a lot of effort to make the perfect glass smash just to show that it's a crystal. Have you ever, have you ever had crystal? I have not. Okay. So crystal is around $300 a bottle for most of their <laughs> line, right? They do have some line of crystal that's like 10 or $15,000 a bottle, but the most common one that's wrapped in the, uh, the clear kind of gold mylar film that they put around it, that one's $300 a bottle. And if you try it, it's really not that good like it's better than a bottle of moe but it's really not that great like if you want if you want a better 300 dollars bottle of champagne i would say go toward dom perignon because dom perignon is actually a better champagne for the 300 dollars. that's my own <laughs> but <laughs> but dom perignon doesn't have as many rappers endorsing it so yeah, 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 there's a possibility. You know, I mean, they could have gone with Ace of Spades because Ace of Spades is, J- uh, is Jay-Z's fucking champagne and that's like $15,000 a bottle and they have some $60,000 a bottle. <laughs> Like a three hundred dollar bottle of champagne in a fucking rich like monarch like fucking general's line of extravagances isn't really that much of an extravagance, you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, anyway, I'd be like, I, mean, I can afford a three hundred dollar bottle. I mean, of wine. they're in from Turkestan, not <laughs> not Saudi Arabia. So I mean, you know, <laughs> Turkestan doesn't have as mu- as much money. Yeah, I mean, they're only generals too. They're not. <laughs> They can't so, afford the top, top of the line. Yeah. So, Paul, there's a little detail here that really bothered me. Is that number one, the jet that they fly around on in this movie is actually Michael Bay's private jet. That's the one that he flies around on. He fucking put his oh, own nice. jet in the movie. But here's the thing All that right. bothered me is that... Tax this- write-off. <laughs> <laughs> The sniper gets everyone to tell them their names out of guilt and camaraderie, right? Then the next scene on the radio is they're flying wherever the fuck they're flying. I can't remember where they're flying. But even though they are on the same fucking jet, the sniper, now Blaine is his name, radios people by their names and tells them how long they have on the clock to finish the mission in order to reinforce with the audience. Oh yeah, they only have a day in order to do this left, blah, 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 blah. But number one, wouldn't they all know the deadline because they all have fucking dealt with this mission for this entire time they've been there (laughs) and number two why the fuck would he have to use a fucking radio to communicate within a g5 it's not that big of a fucking plane why would he need to come on the goddamn radio that's broadcasting a signal that can be picked up by any number of people that are just sweeping random airline frequencies from the ground in order to see if i don't know spies are flying (laughs) above them (laughs) fucking stupid dude (sighs) It's like, oh, audience, remember, just in case you weren't paying attention to the first hour and a half of this movie, we only have a day left. I got to remind you. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Michael Bay movie. I mean, your attention span tends to wander. And uh, if there like aren't explosions going on, I mean, there's <laughs> a five minute sequence without any explosions or car crashes or bodies right. flying through the air. <laughs> you're you're going to nod off a little bit. So it's Speaking. like, okay. 
It's time for a reminder <laughs> of why we're all here. Some shit's about Speaking to Speaking of bodies flying through the air, there's a scene where he drives it, like the dictator tells his henchmen to drive his fucking Range Rover through a crowd of people that are on the fucking like yeah, plaza that are blocking. Pretty them. nice product placement, by the way. I mean, yeah, yeah, Range yeah. Rover, you can plow through Run- crowds <laughs> of any size. I was wondering no about that problems. with the fucking like product placement. Like, did Range Rover have a problem with the way that they were portraying their vehicles in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> but he he drives this fucking Range Rover through this crowd of people and these people fly up and over the Range Rover, no problem. And I'm like, okay. So the Range Rover does have enough power to presumably do that. But when people get run over by a fucking car, they fall backwards and they generally fall under the vehicle and they get jammed up in the wheels and the fucking axles. Like, have you ever seen somebody drive into a crowd of people? They don't get very far. They get, you know, through 30 or 40 people and then like their wheels jam up and they can't go any further because guess what human beings are like any other fucking (laughs) medium that you drive through there's give and take with that because of physics but beyond that point it doesn't matter fuck it why am i talking about that was Uh, yeah, no, that's pretty. But you know, they they talk ah. about how the number one way for a dictator to control his country is through state-run television, right? And they break into that fucking like security secure TV facility, and there's one chain with one lock holding the fucking gate <laughs> shut for them to get in. I'm like, wow, this is really secure. Like you would figure that I don't know. Every nation in the world may know that he has state-run fucking TV, like North Korea, and North Korea's fucking TV antennas and radio antennas are literally behind fortresses full of troops because they know they know that that's a great way of controlling the people is controlling everything that they read everything that they see everything that they hear so they keep that shit on lockdown pretty fucking good and i'm like okay so turgistan this one thing that he's using in order to control his people and he keeps it behind a small padlock and a small fucking chain that can be cut with an 18 inch bolt cutter (laughs) Seems they just, kinda... uh, it's uh, all about the hubris of the dictator thinking that no one could even get into his country, let alone get into his <laughs> TV station. But he also doesn't count on the fact that like one broadcast of one speech by his brother <laughs> is enough to literally fucking get everybody. <laughs> the whole country into chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but Paul, I want to get to this action scene. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm just <laughs> waiting for a broadcast from Joe Biden to say, rise up against the Trump, and I'm just going to fucking take to the streets immediately. Yeah. Burn everything. For you. Yeah, I'm oh, waiting God. For that. <laughs> But I, w- I want to get to this action sequence that's going on right behind us. On top of the horrible, like, pandering to the Chinese market with the Chinese subs that they get into the boat with, they, they get on the boat and he puts these three magnets that are controlled by an app. An app to control these magnets in order to, like, mm-hmm. magnetize the entire boat. <laughs> but... Here's the thing. They show this repeatedly in this movie is that when he turns on the magnets, everybody wearing body armor flies over to the fucking nearest yeah. metal thing and sticks to it like yeah. it's magnetic. Kevlar, Kevlar, Kevlar. body armor made out of polymer and not yeah it's made magnetic of- material yeah none of it makes sense gabe i mean just just let it go you're building <laughs> your whole goddamn last action sequence off of this fucking pres- supposition like 
<laughs> Kevlar is made out of polyester for Christ's sake. Really, really tight woven polyester in multiple layers adhered with adhesive is what stops the bullet. It slows the bullet down. And guess what? With Kevlar, if you shoot it, the vest is no good. You have to literally throw the vest away if it's hit by a bullet and put a new one on because it's no longer structurally sound to resist a bullet. The only difference is, is what the <laughs> troops use, which is ceramic plates. They put ceramic plates in their vest, which also ceramic is not magnetic, but that's a fucking level three <laughs> vest that they're wearing. And they don't even wear that. I'm like, dude, these are troops in a foreign country that said that they're armed by the US and they have Kevlar body armor. Like Kevlar body armor is whatever the asshole on the street can walk into a gun store and get. Ceramic body armor so, is actually illegal <laughs> to own in the United States. So I, my guess is that they all have steel plates inserted into their body armor to Why? give them a little more oomph. Why? I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing. You can get your steel plate inserts to give you a little extra protection in the body armor. So that was my, I'm like, all right, maybe that's why it sticks. I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> just to explain the whole. So, the whole all right. So, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, even though I don't want to give you that, but explain to me the plastic guns, Paul, that don't have any metal in them, even though they use bullets <laughs> which rely on brass cartridges in order to function in order for the fucking cordite inside of them to explode and fire a copper and lead projectile out of the end of it. How the fuck do they have plastic guns? <laughs> okay, so, I mean, there's nothing... If their guns aren't made out of steel, then they're not going to be magnetic. Because right. brass is just tin and copper and uh, I forget, something else. But Nickel. Yeah, there's no nickel there you go well wait nickel is magnetic but let's uh let's skip past that <laughs> they use uh they don't use uh brass they use like uh aluminum cartridges or something yeah there it's not go. possible yeah. aluminum can't contain an explosion <laughs> by cordite but beyond <laughs> don't worry about it again don't worry about it so I, I have a real question here when it comes to the story, Paul. They constantly refer to the the day of the dead as their significant day. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, the I know. day Just... of the dead, why the fuck is that significant <laughs> to Middle Eastern people? It's a fucking Mexican holiday. <laughs> like, how the fuck is yeah. that even a thing? Like, is it just because it sounds cool day and they have the a fucking... Dead. Yeah, they don't even know what it means. <laughs> yeah, no, they just, they just shit on that. It's cool. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, this this goes back to like white people writing about shit that they don't know about. Like what we were talking about about bad boys is that this this is something that's like an extremely well-known holiday, literally celebrated by over 400 million people in the fucking world. And like they can't bother to Google it for five <laughs> seconds before they it write it in the cool, script. Dude, yeah, it dude, sounds cool. Hardcore shit. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, I, I'm just sick of, like, rich white men, like, writing about shit that they don't have anything about. They know nothing about. Paul, wait a second. So, I, I, I got a real question here. So, one of the ads in this movie is for the boat that they get on after they, like, blow up his fucking vessel. And it's oh. it's this very obvious ad in the middle of the steering wheel as they're looking at one of the characters that's driving it. <laughs> it says, Tideman Boats. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. so It's also made out of recycled materials, if you couldn't tell from all the... Uh 
uh, symbols on it. Is it? I didn't even see a recycled. Oh symbol. man, yeah, no. Go back and watch, and, the, <laughs> and there's like these giant number two polyester recycled <laughs> symbols on it. I don't know why they're so big. I mean, they're bigger than the actual company <laughs> logo. Just to let you know that they're an eco-friendly company. But I mean, my question is this: is it's like the products and the image that they're selling in this movie for the people that are watching it. How many people that are watching it can actually afford these products that they're selling? You know what I mean? Like. That Shepard watch is an $80,000 watch. Who the fuck after this movie is going to be like, oh, I'm going to buy like the cheapest Shepard watch that I've ever seen in my life was eight grand. I'm like, who the fuck is going to watch this movie and be like, oh, you know what? I need a Shepard watch. It's Chopard. I'm sorry. Chopard. Fuck you. It's French. French. Well, actually, but you know, there's (laughs) French, but yeah. Yeah. That's kind of weird because most of these things are luxury brands. Right. And I, I, I think it's all about the the dick envy of showing off like how how cool you are and i mean i'm sure there's a lot of rich assholes that just want to be super villains and so <laughs> they go out and buy all this shit just because they can <laughs> so yeah. okay so go, going back to this movie for a second there's a constant thing in this movie that frag grenades blow up into flames throughout this movie <laughs> also cars, <laughs> cars and people and- <laughs> <laughs> everything you know, I, I was I was thinking about it for a second when he jams that flashbang in that guy's mouth and like kicks him around the corner and his head blows off. Like, <laughs> that's not how flashbangs work. Like flashbangs shoot out the base of it and at most it would fuck up his throat, but his head would still I don't know. I mean, there's enough energy in a flashbang that if it were your mouth was closed on it, it'd probably fuck you up pretty good. Yeah, but I don't think it would blow your head off into like a, well, a soupy mass. We, of... we need to do an experiment, I guess. It's called <laughs> Mythbusters. Yeah. They're not around anymore, man. <sighs> yes. Who the fuck bad. is supposed to do this shit for us? I don't know. So uh, I I have a question here about violence for a second is that with as much violence as in this movie, they take the dictator up into the plane at the end of the, or I'm sorry, the the helicopter into the end of the movie, which is a whole thing because the director, some, or I'm sorry, the dictator somehow makes it off the boat and no one on this team has a way of tracking him on top of that. (laughs) But they miracle themselves onto the helicopter flying by that. It was all part of the plan, man. Just so happens to be piloted by the brother of the dictator who just happens to be able to fly a fucking (laughs) helicopter. Yeah. But they fly to a refugee camp in order to let the Don't people... you know how to tear them apart? Yeah. But here, here's my question about violence. Is that the rebels run up and they chop him apart with machetes, right? But they cut away. And I'm like, dude, you've already... Like, okay, so Michael <laughs> Bay has made plenty of violent movies over the years. Like, Bad Boys 2 has some of the, like, the best, like, juicy chunks, like, wow. flying <laughs> through the air of any action movie in a while. And, like, yeah. he shies away from seeing this guy get chopped apart by... I him. know that would it's like one of the best payoff moments of this movie oh, that for they sure, wondered like i would have loved to see his head on a pike or something like that but just they to just... see his arm come yeah. off when somebody wha- like okay so like 28 days later right when like that the, the guy gets infected and like naomi harris runs up to him and chops his arm off with the fucking machete that movie is a two and a half million dollar movie and like that makeup effect of his arm coming off after multiple wax and him screaming is something that's still haunts my nightmares like 18 years after the fact
fact, I'm still thinking of that shit. And I'm like, okay, like, I know that this isn't a movie that's like trying to like make it stamp on something, but if you're going to be violent, be violent, man. You know, like show me that shit. I want to see this guy's yeah. arm coming off or like his head coming off or something. Give me three or I four was, wax to see his head come off. You know, I was generally entertained by the violence in this movie. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen his, Michael Bay's last two movies. So I don't know mm. if those were violent or not, but the last ones I've seen are the Transformers movie with its PG-13 cartoon <laughs> kind of like fake right. violence. And so it was kind of refreshing to see bodies flying through the air and people exploding you in know, pieces and stuff like that. Thir- so that was 13, 13 Hours has some pretty good violence in it. Like it's yeah. it's, it's definitely a propaganda movie in order to get you to want to <laughs> join the military and support the US. Oh, yeah. But of course. it's definitely really, really violent. There's some good gore in that that I really enjoyed in terms of like the cinematic value of it. And this movie I felt like was pretty tame even in even like in relation to Bad Boys 2 which has yeah. like the fucking minefield scene at the end where the guy like comes apart in front of the iguanas <laughs> 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 like that's pretty good man and like this movie it just seems like to me it felt like it was tame for a michael bay r-rated movie you know what i mean that's yeah. just me i guess just, just the sheer volume of violence though yeah I mean, I mean you never have to wait more than like three or four minutes before something starts like popping off and somebody's shooting yeah. or i mean i don't something the body up. count is in the hundreds in this movie for sure <laughs> Yeah, so. <laughs> which is fine. But, you know, I mean, have you ever seen, have you seen the, the, the movie John Wick 3 Parabellum, the third part? I think I've only seen John Wick 1. Okay. So, so yeah. John, John Wick 2 is really good. I'll, I'll give John Wick 2 a really, really like good, strong endorsement for an action movie. But John Wick 3 gets to the point where it's just like so much killing that it just like loses its like... I don't know. It loses its like value as you're watching huh. it. It's like, oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm kind of getting like numb by it. Yeah. But it's, that's, it's I mean, that so is a trademark more. of the, the Michael Bay movie. By the time you either have a serious migraine or you're just numb to the whole experience <laughs> by the end of the movie. <laughs> I, yeah. Now that you've described John Wick three, I'm probably gonna have to go watch it. Just look. Know. I mean, to be, to be real here, like I worked <laughs> on I worked on John Wick two and I worked on John Wick three, and both of them, even watching it happen, I was like, this is pretty good. It's a lot of violence. But then when I saw it, I was like, this is way more than I remember <laughs> shooting. <laughs> It's 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 pretty interesting. But I mean, that, that, those are two movies that I'm like really proud that I worked on because I was like they had some cool like inventive action scenes and that they tried yeah. really hard to be interesting with. It wasn't just this like cacophony of noise that is Michael Bay. <laughs> it's just like I'm gonna be louder every time and I'm gonna have more shit flying through the frame yeah. <laughs> and people are gonna think that's dope. Like think about Mad Max Fury Road. Like what got you into that movie is it's like it's first of all it's a fucking two hour long chase scene which is insane <laughs> but it's like all the action scenes it builds intention as it's moving along but it doesn't necessarily build in complexity like when it gets near the end the last part of the action sequence is actually pretty fucking simple but by the time yeah. that you get there there's been all these scenes building up to it that raise the stakes so much that you're just like it's breathless by the time you get to the end of it i'll take george miller any day of the week yeah. over oh, michael yeah, bay for sure, for sure. <laughs> <sighs> is he ever gonna do anything again he's He's, he's supposedly working on the new Mad Max movie right now, but like oh, yeah. he's stuck in scripting. Knowing George Miller and how long yeah. it took him to do Mad Max Fury Road, it's going to be a while, dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually worried that George Miller is going to die before he gets <laughs> to it. Yeah. Like, 
that guy is an auteur action director. You want to talk sure. about auteur, man. Like Mad Max Fury Road is exactly what happens when you give a fucking madman a hundred million dollars and nine months to go into <laughs> Africa and shoot. <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> Even even Charlize Theron and Tom, and Tom Hardy when they were going on the press tour, especially when it was at Cannes, they had no idea what they were promoting. Like both of them had such a negative experience on that movie because they couldn't see the overall picture that when they yeah. finally saw the movie, they were like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> but I mean, it stands. You know, that movie's going to be remembered oh, yeah. in thirty years. It's like one of the best action yeah. movies ever made. But this movie, <laughs> forgotten. Yeah, forgotten. Yeah. <clears throat> So at the end of this movie, let's just wrap this up for a second because they they keep they keep going back to Lavaza ads throughout this, and I'm like, okay, Lavaza Coffee sucks ass. Like they are a bad coffee company, but they are promoted like a motherfucker in this. And it's like, okay, so at the end of the movie, Ryan reunites with his girl with too much makeup on, and Javi. <laughs> Javi has his murderous girlfriend meet his mother and no power vacuum exists in Turkmenistan and Parker Parker Jerkoff is climbing with his girlfriend on some very wet rocks, by the way, when they cut to the close-up. I'm like, (laughs) goddamn DPs for wetting down shit. This is like a number one beef that I have with DPs (laughs) is I've worked with several DPs to do this, but over watching movies over the years and working in the industry, you see it and they wet down shit in order to get reflective light off of stuff, especially with night scenes they like reflect oh, light yeah, off yeah. the street sure. but they like you. they have to but when okay so some of the first scenes that i ever worked on when, when it was when i was working in my home state of new mexico and new mexico is one of the driest climates in the fucking country and when you wet down all of it evaporates within like 40 minutes, <laughs> Two minutes. so yeah. you're fucking sitting there and you're waiting on a wet down so that way you could shoot the scene it's like what the fuck like stop wetting it down man just shoot the goddamn thing <laughs> And there goes the entire (laughs) supply of the city of Albuquerque. Absolutely. But they're they're climbing on these rocks and like these rocks are wet when they cut to the close-up so that way they can get the reflective light off of the rock onto the fucking actress and actor. And I'm like, I hate this shit. It pulls me out every time. It pulls me out almost as much (laughs) as like removing like headrests in cars that they do in scenes. That drives me nuts. But the sniper magically gets over his suicidal thoughts because of what? This idiotic asshole that let him kill a bunch of people in some third world country like hey. how does yeah, that do it for me that as would get you over your depression freely i mean yeah. Why not? <laughs> but but they roll credits over another top 40 song with lyrics that coincide with the movie's long largest coincidence. All of these people are quote unquote bulletproof because that's the main fucking lyric in the song. <laughs> no one gets hit by a fucking straight. Does anybody get shot in this movie other than the girl at the beginning? No, no. I mean, you can't get shot like that's too inconvenient. <laughs> I mean, okay. So Bruce Willis did a movie called Tears of the Sun with Anton Fuqua like in 2003. It was originally conceived as like another Die Hard sequel. And you can see it in a lot of the writing. They just went back and they basically changed the names before they started shooting. And throughout that movie, Bruce Willis must have been hit by like 40 or 50 bullets throughout (laughs) that movie. And he's still walking around and his arm is hanging off after getting hit by a machete. And I'm like, that's that's okay for me like a bad action movie <laughs> where the guy gets hit by a shitload of bullets but like to not get hit once by anybody in this movie with these henchmen spraying thousands of bullets over the course of this thing just oh seems... wait no remember the the sniper guy shoots the the mexican guy in the head with the 308 
like magnum rifle no dude that's a 50 cal it's, that he has in his hand that's a 50 cal oh is it yeah. all right hey, you can see but his his little his little helmet stops bullet because yeah. remember in the previous scene they do a test run where they shoot the helmets and they're fine so. i don't actually remember that there was a whole scene because the the mexican guy looks through a hole <laughs> and the sniper shoots him no no, no. I, I remember i remember that moment but i don't remember them testing the the face mask now there was a quick there's a quick montage of them testing the face masks to mm. foretell that one of them was going to be shot in the head yeah and it was going to be fine and him saying like oh it was your fault because you never looked through a bullet hole i'm like <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about like <laughs> is that some unwritten rule of action movies that i've never heard of before you never look through a bullet hole dude you know what i mean i i don't have anything else to say about this movie other than that fuck you michael bay you're a piece <laughs> of shit fuck your mother but i mean it's 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 uh, this movie is something that it took me it's one of the few movies that it took me this was my ninth try of getting through it in order to watch it like i always got through the first opening action scene every single time and then i would inevitably give up almost immediately because it was too much for me after the first opening action scene but it, yeah. this was this was my ninth time and i had to force myself to sit there because i fucking hate this movie so goddamn much yeah one of the few movies that okay. it was it was not it wasn't a 308 but it was a 338 loop of magnum oh yeah that's even worse yeah. though like 50 bmg which is like everyone thinks it's a good sniper round it's not really that accurate it drops off off of 1500 yards yeah, yeah well the 338 or the 308 is the preferred sniper round or the 300 winchester I'm just gonna say that. wait but the sniper uses uh a realistic sniper rifle. Sure. You know, so everything else about the movie is complete bullshit, including a uh, mag capacity by any automatic <laughs> weapon that is being fired in this movie. That's every action movie in the world, <laughs> though. I mean, yeah. So, Paul, you got anything else to say about this movie or anything to add about Michael Bay? No, no. Uh, he's going to keep on doing his thing and people are going to keep watching them. But anyway, everybody, that was Michael Bay's 2019 Six Underground, a god-awful fucking pile of shit, jingostic, stupid, I don't even know any other word in order to fucking describe this. It's just idiocy. It is the American way on film. There you go. But all, all that being said, Paul, I was uh, I was trying to think of like the next movie for us to do. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about some real gems in yeah. my uh, my memory. But I wanted to talk about R.I.P.D. at some point. R.I.P.D. has this really weird memory with me because I saw an early version of it when I lived in L.A. And I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like it's supposed to be like this paranormal type investigation police movie with Ryan Reynolds and fucking Jeff Bridges and nothing about it works and I remember that I went to like the preview screening of it when I lived in LA when it was basically like this assembly cut with like a lot of stock footage because they haven't shot exteriors on it yeah and I was like oh my god like what the fuck is this thing <laughs> <laughs> And I remember that I sat there and they give you like a, they usually give you like this eight and a half by 11 or eight and a half by 14 piece of paper that's two sided and it has some questions. But near the end, there's usually like this half a page that's devoted to long answer about how you feel about things in the movie. Yeah. And I filled it up in those areas and I wrote along the margins and I wrote along the front <laughs> of the movie. Cause I was just like, where do I goddamn start, man? Like, what the 
fuck are you trying to go for? Like, Men in Black <laughs> already exists, motherfucker. Like, you don't need to make another PG-13 paranormal police movie. Like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Especially with Jeff Bridges and, and Ryan Reynolds. Like, neither one of them has chemistry with each other, and I just don't buy the relationship in yeah. any way, shape, or form. What was that other Jeff Bridges, like, fantasy movie that... You're talking about uh, The Seventh... Oh, what the fuck was the name? It was with, it was with I think, uh, Julian I think it was Moore. so horrible. The Seventh Son. Push- the Seventh yeah. Son. That's the name yeah. of it. They kept pushing back the release date because they were just <laughs> afraid to actually release it because it was so horrible. <laughs> that one's pretty bad. So nobody in this movie eats a sandwich, but I'm going to I'm gonna save this last segment of the podcast to talk about my sandwich beef of the week. This is a history lesson, people, but it leads into a sandwich beef for a second. New York, just before Prohibition, passed a law called Rain's Law. In essence, the law said that alcohol could only be served on Sundays in hotels to hotel guests and could only be served on Sundays if it was co- accompanied by food service. So a hotel at that time was defined as a place with 10 or more rooms that could c- contained beds. And during that time period, as most men work six-day weeks, Sunday was their only day to drink. But the men could not get alcohol and the required food service was solid with said alcohol unless they were staying at the hotel. So bars got around this loophole by furnishing makeshift rooms and applying for a hotel license. So the food requirement was solved with a rubber sandwich that was presented (laughs) with each drink and was swiped away seconds later to serve to another customer their meal with their alcohol. So they'd put the drink down in the sandwich and they'd let the guy (laughs) grab the drink and then they'd swipe the sandwich away. That was interesting in its own, but the rubber sandwich was soon replaced by two pieces of bread with a red masonry brick in between it by hotel owners who were mocking the law. Like, well, there's bread and there's something in between the bread, so obviously it's a sandwich. So this is all to say, fuck the law, man. Let me drink in peace. If I wanted a sandwich, I would have gone to Cat's Dally to get the sandwich. They've been open since 1888, and it's only a few blocks on Ludlow in the Lower East Side. Don't make sandwiches suffer because you're a puritanical asshole. (laughs) Also, if you want a good sandwich and good beer in Brooklyn, check out the Wilkie off of Patchen Avenue in Bedstuy. That's the fucking place to go right there. But do not go to Randolph's Beer in Williamsburg. They'll rip you off and their sandwiches and burgers are basic as fuck. That's my sandwich <laughs> beef for this week. I wanted to drop that in there because it gives you a little history lesson too. Yeah. That is Six Underground People. Once again, I am Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Shandle. Thanks for joining Stretch us. Stretch it out. <laughs> Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>